Praise God. Well, let's turn our Bibles today to Matthew, the sixth chapter, verse 9 through 13. We are talking about this boundless, immeasurable subject of prayer. Certainly you can't cover it in a month, but we are touching on it Wednesday nights. We are joining together and uh, we are looking into prayer. And uh, prayer, in one sense, does not have to be just for crisis. Sometimes we save prayer just for crisis. We think it's the all-button pusher or the all-remedy for our crisis. And in one sense, yes, it is. But we shouldn't just wait for a crisis in our own life to pray. Amen? And uh, so I said go to Matthew, and you can stay right there, but I'm going to throw James 5.16 through 20 up on the screen. This is a story about a man named Elijah. Now, Elijah has really no parents, except we know that he was of the Tishbites. He doesn't have uh, really any proclamation of being a prophet until earlier or later in his life. Really, Elijah was a man, a man of God, filled with passion against evil over Israel. And he gets his start by bringing forth the word to Israel from God. He's a man of great faith. He's a man of great uh, declaration of who God has made him. And it says this, confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another. In other words, knowledge of a weakness, knowledge of a struggle must be enacted or responded to by the faith of the one becoming aware of it. To hear a brother or sister struggling and not commit yourself to prayer is a great negligence of the reflection of who God is in our life because Jesus ever lives to make intercession for you and I. Jesus would never turn him self away from approaching God on your behalf if you had a problem. And so we as Christians don't want to take prayer lightly and we don't want to take the responsibility that is given to us by being men and women that have access to God by prayer. And then it says this, pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Somebody say much. Next verse, and Eliza, Elisha was a man subject to like passions as we are. He prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. And brethren, if any of you err from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the heir of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. 
the effectual fervent prayer. The effectual fervent prayer simply means to work effectively. You know, ignorance many times is a plan for failure. We need to educate ourselves to know how to pray. The Bible says in Hebrews 5th chapter, verse 12 on down, that those of you when you should be teachers, leaders, men of victory to those that are around you, because you never have exercised yourself in the places of pressure, have become like babies again. And you need to be taught once again that which spurred you when you first got saved. In other words, sometimes if we don't use what we have, we lose what we've held. Amen? It means to keep the course or to see the prize. Now, that's what the effectual fervent prayer does. In other words, a man that prays fervently sees the answer beyond the problem. People that don't pray don't see any hope beyond their problem. And so we have a lack of faith. And it says also that we are to use our assets of power over our emotions. Elijah was a man of like passions. He dealt with emotions. He dealt with passions of anger, disappointment, discouragement, you know, passions of hatred, passions of division. But what he did not do, he never succumbed to them. He was able to rule over them. And you know, when we start looking at people's lives, there's no sense in getting angry about where they are, getting, you know, just totally discouraged by what it seemed like they produced in their own life. Sometimes it may look like they have produced their own life, but many times it is really the work of the adversary in their life. And they feel so overcome, so overwhelmed with where they are, it doesn't seem like they're ever going to be able to break forth. And what they need is someone that knows how to pray, someone that will stick to it, someone that can look beyond their problem and bring them out so that they bear one another's burdens, that we pick them up off of their Jericho Road, however they got there, and we put them on our back and we carry them out to a place of safety and healing that they may get back in the game of life for Jesus. Could I get an amen? So we are to control our emotions. We cannot let our emotions defect us from praying for people. Then it talks about make sure that you resist your adversary, you keep your faith, and you declare the end, and you hold fast your confession. Not everybody can do that. Some people feel like they have resisted. They told me a story about uh, Kenton. Kenton is a weird place. It's got weird people in it, had weird people in it, but thank God, God set a church there. But, Randy, I think you told me the story that a truck was coming. There were some drunks sitting over there on the square, and 
They'd been drinking and a truck come around the corner and the truck came off the tire. Yeah, came off the tire, I mean came off the truck. So one of the drunks trying to be a hero ran out into the middle of the road to stop the tire. The tire didn't stop. But the man had to be taken to the hospital because he did look like he had been ran over with a truck. Well, how did this happen? Why'd you down in the road to stop a tire? I wouldn't have had the guts. Guts, and if I was drunk, I wouldn't have had the gumption. I'd have thought, well, that, that's kind of weird. But that tire ran over that man. Sometimes people in life get run over. And they just, they just lose their ability to resist. And they accept status quo. Now, those of us that have faith and those of us that are victorious and those of us that have overcome life and those of us that have God on the main line all the time and those of us that have money in the bank and those, we think they're failures. Well, they ought to use their faith. They ought to do this. Which may be true, but... If someone needed for us to pray for them that they might be healed, could God count on you being the one in their corner? Or would God have brought him to a place of emptiness if he brought him into your life? See, I am thoroughly convinced that lots of things don't happen in life because we are not prepared for them to happen. I believe that God wants to use me. I mean he wants to use me in every situation that needs a financial answer. I, do, I believe that. What, what, do you do it? No. Why? Because I'm not fully prepared. But the Bible says that I could be prepared that I could be to the place that I might have all sufficiency, that I may abound unto every good work. Now, that's one thing that God wants us to do. And God wants me to have enough goods that if a brother comes to me and he doesn't have anything, that I could take the things that God had accumulated in my life for his service and I could give them to another. See, God wants to use all of us. His eyes are running to and fro, to whom he may show himself strong. But the bottom line, many times there's just no conduit for God to flow through. And I'm not saying anything bad. I'm just telling you, we have to be prepared if we're going to be involved in people's lives. And so they might not have the ability to resist. Maybe their resistor, like that man that tried to stop that tire, has just been ran over one time too many. Now, I can only imagine what that guy looked like after that tire got done beating him up on the road. Probably looked like Phyllis and I's first fight. I'm the one that had the scars. Anyway, and uh, so lots of people are just broken. And we can't get away from broken people because all of us in some way, shape, or form are trying to fix stuff in our life. Could I get an amen? amen? 
Some of it has been broken by relationships, some by disappointment, some by failure, you know, just some because of our personalities and all kinds of things break people. But let's say that they are not able to resist. Don't you think that they need somebody that could help them to come up alongside of them and say, look, brother, this is not your fight, but it's our fight. See, remember, we weep with those that weep and we rejoice with those that rejoice. And we can't leave people in the valley of tears, the valley of Baca, which is one, listed one time in the book of Psalms. It's a valley, valley of Baca. It is a valley of tears. It can be the valley of change if there's someone there to help cry with us. But if not, the one that's in the valley of Baca will ultimately die of his own sorrow. Now, we don't want people dying. We want people living a resurrected life. And if it takes somebody to come alongside of us, then we want that. And we cannot look at how they got there. We can't look what they haven't been doing. We are not their sculptor. We are not the one that's going to remake them. And we're not going to pull out of them what they don't have yet. But what we can do is use what we have to induce a supernatural restoration and amending that they can hope again. Amen. See, that is the place of prayer. That is where we go before our Father, where Paul said, I pray that you be, that Christ be formed in you. He's praying for a church that is struggling, that is weak, that is fighting a fight. Spiritual battles are raging everywhere, right and to the left. But Paul, knowing that it's beyond him, it's beyond just telling them what to do, it means that I've got to apprehend grace for these men that are in a war. And I would that everybody had five people like that on their side. Well, then that means that they just wouldn't do anything. No, it may mean that they might learn to resist. It may mean that they might learn to keep their focus. It may learn, mean that they will learn to declare things that seem to be impossible. And yes, it may mean that they will begin to hold fast their confession of faith. Confession of faith. A man came up to me a couple of three weeks ago and he said, Pastor, I, I really want to thank you. I said, well, for what? He said, you know, me and my son, we just have bounced forever. Never, I've never really had jobs or anything. A lot of Christians tell me, oh, yeah, man, we love you, brother. But nobody has ever helped us. He said, but you have begun to take my son. You take him golfing. Now, I will say this about his son. He stinks. Golfing, I, I, I don't know how anybody misses a golf ball. But, but, but he does. And uh, these aren't practice swings. These are miss swings. Well, anyway, the father 
got inspired by people helping his son. His father went and got a full-time job. His father last week opened his first checking account and started his first savings account that he's ever had in his life. Now, you could say a lot of things about them, but they had to learn. They had to have somebody put their hands to the plow to show them this is how you do it. Amen. We were talking and, and said, I don't know what to do. I said, go get a bunch of books on parenting. Start reading. Some of them will work. So he started listening to James Dobson. He started. He's now becoming a father that is relating to his son, speaking to his son, now looking for an apartment where that has two bedrooms that they've never had. A life changed, not just a gospel preached, but somebody that got involved and changed their life. And, and it's more than, than me and because there are other guys in the church that have helped. But we want to make sure that people get to that point. And then we want to make sure that we begin to set ourselves in a place of power. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. In other words, it is filled with the deutimus of God. There is life-changing, situation-altering power in the mouth of a righteous man when we begin to pray. Could again, amen. So, brethren, Paul says, brethren, I command you to God, to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among them which are sanctified. See, we have to show people the gospel so they can be encouraged that what you have is just not a trophy to you, but is an inspiration to others. And then we pray for those people. They may never know your name. It's not important. But what they will know is that God is transforming their life. And if they're having their lives transformed, guess what? Jesus is being made Lord of their lives. Amen? All right, let's go to Philippians 1.19. Philippians 1.19. The power of a righteous man. So really, you haven't just been made righteous to be idle. You've made righteous to become active in order to change the world that you live in. Prayer is this to me. I was thinking about, God, what, what, what is But when I think about prayer, what is it? God said, prayer is an invitation from me to you waiting for an invitation from you to me. In other words, God invites me to get him involved in life's problems. In life's problems, everyday problems. When we look to the Lord's Prayer, what do we look at? We look at Jesus addressing seven needs of man. Prayer is 
the foundation of man's needs being met. Yes, we know it's Jesus, I understand that, but we need to pray, and Jesus taught his disciples how to address seven needs of every man. The first thing, he said that it is our Father which is in heaven. In other words, Jesus wants every man or woman in the sanctuary to realize that you're not just an instrument, you're not a robot, you're not a servant, but God is your Father, and you are accepted, and you are loved. That he embraces us, even in the midst of our trouble, where it looks like we're struggling, he still says, call upon me in the time of trouble. No matter how beat up you are, no matter how downcast you are, call upon me, and I'm going to answer. You think of that. The Almighty God, God, creator of all things, in whom we live and move and have our being, he that spoke and the stars were hung, he that spoke and the angels were created, it is he that divided the earth, the dry land to the water, he that said, let the sea bringeth forth the fowls of the earth. How in the world does a chicken come out of water when it doesn't seem like they can swim? But they come out of the water. Now, I don't understand that. He that made a fish breathe air out of water and then planted plants in the ocean to make sure there's always enough. It's that God that says, I'm your father. I love you, and I'm accepted. You're accepted by me. It's that God that offers us prayer. It reminds us, hallowed be thy name. It reminds us that God is a holy God, and he's a pure God. But many times he deals with impure people, you and I. And in our impurities, we call upon the Lord, and guess what? He'll renew in us a right spirit. He'll help us. He'll bring us out. Could I get an amen? Your kingdom come, your will be done. Do you realize that it takes God's intervention for his will to take place in each and every one of our lives? We are not self-made people. We are the byproducts of the hand of God being our potter. We are not self-made people. Not our will, but God's yours be done. Prayer enables man to walk in a place that God desires him to walk. Give us this day our daily bread, how God wants to be our provider. Every day, every day, every day we pray this. Not one day are we sufficient of ourself. And then it says, God forgive us as we forgive those trespass against us. We all need forgiveness. We know that. Oh, but I haven't done anything except thought wrong of the people that did do something wrong. Certainly, we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But we also have to have a forgiving heart towards others because we need to view other people not in the exalted form that we look at ourselves. We need to look ourselves at other people that we remember we were once sinners just like they are. And we have fell short a million times. 
without anybody recording it. Amen? And then, deliver us from temptation. All of us should be praying for protection for our children, our loved ones. How many husbands see their wives and their children off and never pray for them to overcome the adversary in the day? Many times. Many times we do. We send our children off into a wicked world without one mention of prayer or protection. God wants to keep us free and he wants to bless us. Yours is the kingdom and the power. See, we are in a partnership with God and God has given us power over serpents, scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, but you and I need God's direction of where to exercise authority and to win and set people free. Amen? Philippians 1.19 says this. Philippians 1.19. Ah, uh, there you go. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation. Now, we all know that Paul is in bonds. He's in shackles. He's been put there because he's preaching the gospel. And Paul is there. He doesn't have any lawyers. He really probably doesn't have much money. But he's not asking them to send me support. He's not asking them, send me the name of a good lawyer. He says this, I know that this will turn to my salvation, my turnaround, my deliverance. God will bring me out of this adversarial state that I'm in. And he says, through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. What was Paul banking on? He was banking on the prayer of a community of faith. And he really did believe that if he sent in a prayer request, that they would take it to heart. I don't know why he believed that, but he believed that. And so Paul begins to say, look, I need your prayer to turn this around. Now, Paul's not saying, hey, you know, do this or do that, and maybe this will work. No, no. Paul's life is in jeopardy. And he doesn't want to die like none of us want to die. But he says, look, I am pulling the strongest point of power and connection with God that I can pull. And I need you to address God on my behalf. And he says, I'm persuaded, I know, I just know, I am totally aware that if you pray, God will turn this around. That tells us the power of prayer. It can change governments. It can change local laws. It can change the hearts of men that rule things. It can change the hearts of those that persecute us and torment us and afflict us. It can change all of that. But sometimes we try to do everything except pray. Paul seeks the prayers of a praying community. That's you and I. That's you and I. Could I get an amen? Now that tells me something. It doesn't matter what men have been accused of. When we're preaching the gospel, God is a God of justice but he will only respond 
when there is prayer offered for the problem. Paul didn't just say, ah, oh, don't worry, God will finally show up. You know, I'll get his attention. He'll know when I'm not in the next city. He'll come looking for me. No. Paul said, you know what? My deliverance is based upon your faith. Will you pray for me? You know, when it talks about weeping with those that weep and rejoice with those that... Really what it means is we take that problem on as if it belongs to us. How many of us can see ourselves in the prisons that Paul was in? How many of us could intercede as if it were our sons and daughters on the verge of life and death? See, really, that is the heartthrob of God. See, in intercession, Jesus ever lived to make intercession. An intercessor is someone that, let's say that there is a wall built so that the floodwaters can't come in from the river. Well, pretty soon, you know, just because of neglect or whatever, the wall breaks down. And then one time, here comes a hundred-year storm, and it begins to rain, buddy, like cats have been let out of humane society. Man, it's everywhere. It starts raining and raining and raining. Even the dirty people are clean. And all of a sudden, this weak place that has been torn down, that lets the adversary of this water to come in and take over that which once has been safe. The intercessor comes in and he stands right there where the water's coming through. And he stops the water. You could be an intercessor by laying in between the rocks that are like that. Let the water beat you on the back. You could hold back the water. It would come up against you. Everybody else is still eating dinner, but you are sacrificing. But in this case, it means that somebody stands here and invokes the grace of God in the very place of weakness that the devil has broken through on. We need to intercede. Pray like it's our own. Pray like it is us. Let's go to Acts, the 12th chapter. Acts, the 12th chapter, and verse 1. I'm sorry, I said verse 1, didn't I? Let's, yep, okay, let's go to verse 1. And now, about that time, Herod, the king, stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church. But then it catapults from just vexing and harassing to he kills James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. There in the days of the unleavened bread. When he had apprehended him, he put him in prison, delivered him to four quarantines of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but somebody say, in every battle there is a but. That means a changing point, a changing of positions. But prayer was made without ceasing 
of the church unto God for him. And when Herod, who would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers and bound with two chains, and the keepers before the doors kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison. And he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. His chains fell off immediately from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself up, bind on your sandals. And he said, And so he did. And he said unto him, Cast thy garment about thee and follow me. And he went out and he followed him. And wist not that it was true which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. And they were past, when they were past the first and the second ward, they came to the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which opened unto them of its own accord. They went out and passed on through one street and forth with the angel departed from him. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel. He hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod, and from all the expectations of the people of the Jews. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. Wow. Four quartines, that means four groups of four men that were used for protecting politician, electoral prisoners that had great influence. Peter has shackles on him. Prayer is being made, unbeknownst to Peter. Peter's taking life easy. He's sleeping between two men, and there are keepers of the prison at the doors. But because of God's intervention, God's extended hand, Peter is hit by the angel and said, hey, wake up. Immediately, shackles fall off. Prayer can bring deliverance to people. What if the church laid hold and said, not one member will be bound? Not one member will be tormented. Not one member will lack. Not one member will be under the scrutiny and the bondage of the devil. What if your son or your daughter or your child was the first that the church chose? But what if they were the last? Would it still be with the same fervency of prayer? Somewhere I mentioned last week that prayer is a part of a relationship. It's relational. And we have got to some way fall in love enough with God and with the brethren that time is not the priority. So the church prays and it releases angelic 
movement. Angels are involved in answered prayer. Remember as they pray that governments are resisted, armies are held back, purposes of the enemy are overthrown, the plans of the king are stopped in its tracks. Verse 5, and it says, how prayer can change a story. What is the story of people that have been in this situation? The story is, you're going to get killed. But prayer changes the story. Could it get an amen? You might have been told the outcome of your life or the outcome of what you're doing. But that's really not the outcome. That is the outcome of people that have been before you, but not the people that you are and the people that you are surrounded by. Your story can change. Thank God somebody prayed for me. Thank God that my story was not the story of the outcome of people that live like me. Thank God that God brought people around me to change the story. How many of you have had your story changed because of a praying mama, a praying grandma, a praying father, or a, you know, cussing uncle? I don't know who it was or what it was, but I'm glad that your life was changed. How prayer can change an outcome. How prayer can stop the plans of men and of Satan. Prayer can and does oftentimes change the very nature of where you're at. Peter no longer was a prisoner. He was sitting in a prison freed. We can be kept by the power of God. Angels become so involved in the church's business when prayer is made. In Acts the 8th chapter, there was a sorcerer. His name was Simeon. And the Simeon saw that Peter, when he laid hands on him, people were getting filled with the Holy Ghost. Well, Simeon was a sorcerer, an ex-sorcerer. He got saved. And he thought, you know, hey, I could cash in and make some money on this. And so he said, hey, Peter, I'd like to buy the power that you have because that's what sorcerers dealt with. And so in his immaturity as a Christian, he said, hey, I'd like to buy that power that I could get people filled with the Holy Ghost. Peter said, you devil, you. He said, you know what? You have neither lot nor matter in this. And I'll tell you what, I perceive that you are in the gall of bitterness and right in the bosom of iniquity. Guess what the sorcerer calls out to Peter for? Pray for me that these things don't come upon me. Now Peter says, I perceive you are right in the belly of the bitterness root of unbelief and iniquity is overtaking you. And he said, Peter, please pray for me. How many times have we seen people dealing with iniquity? And all we do is 
Christian badmouth them. Tell them what they need. Complain to other people. They should be doing this. They should be doing that. But folks, if we have the faith that we've come through those things, shouldn't we be using that comfort to comfort those that they may experience the liberty that God gave us? Shouldn't we? Listen, if you would just realize the power that you have in prayer as a righteous individual, that you can change the world, you can change systems, you can stop government, you can cause favor to come where hatred raged, you can bring men out of the gall of bitterness, you can bring them up out of their iniquity, they may be blinded to it. They may be broadsided by it. They may be overtaken. They may be just totally oblivious. They may be lost in a sea of hopelessness or unforgiveness. But if you and I will pray, we don't have to lose those people. I don't believe that Simeon was lost because I believe that Peter took it to heart and said, I will pray. In his ignorance and in his immaturity, he made mistakes. Maybe his motive was wrong. I've been there a thousand times, and so have you. But he cried out because of the power of prayer. How many Simeons do you and I know? How many people that are struggling with a bona fide addiction? A bona fide weakness. Something they just cannot get over on their own. But the Bible said one can put a thousand to flight. Two can put what? Ten thousand to flight. I can't tell you what I feel when Brother Bud will call me and say, Pastor, I'm praying for you. It's going to be okay. I, I can't tell you what that means to me. I can't tell you Dr. Obalu called me and said, hey, Pastor, how are you doing? I was just thinking about you. You're praying for you. I, I can't tell you that. I got a call the other day out of, out of somebody that I don't talk too much in the congregation said, Pastor, you've been on my heart all week. I'm praying for you. And God is faithful. Then I got a, uh, today he said, you know, Pastor, I've been praying for you all week. Man, this is, this is what I feel like God spoke to me. I don't want to get out of place, but this is what I feel. Well, that's fine and dandy. And he told me what he said, and, and I, I said, look, don't be, man, that, you're not running over my circus. Praise God, that's just what I needed to hear. And so when you least expect it, could I have made it this week? I probably would have. I'm sure that God would have used somebody else. But he used those people that didn't know anything about anything to help me come through situations this week. And it's been a tough week. You know, Phyllis started menopause again. And, and it's like the third time I'm thinking to myself, am I up to the task? Am I willing to fight the fight? Am I willing to pay the price? 
Now my outward man said, are you kidding? Let's get a bus ticket. And an airplane. I, I might get on a Greyhound bus and just go. But somewhere I got strength to endure. This natural induced schizophrenic state. that men go through and they express theirs with new cars. Women go through and oppress men. I think the car choice is better. Get it out of your system, go buy a car. Please just buy a car. Make sure it's got air and heat so you can run it and twist it any way you want. What? Oh, yeah. So, look, we all know people. And I'm telling you, people that backslide, most of the time, there's no rhyme or reason in it. It's just that they need someone to connect to God and the throne of grace on their behalf. Amen. Amen. Have any of you ever saw that movie, Hacksaw Ridge? That is a great movie. It tells the story of a man that uh, is a believer, and he does not believe in killing, but he wants to serve his country. He becomes a paramedic uh, in the service, and they leave this battlefield. They think everybody's dead. They think he's dead. But some way, he's not. And he pulls himself up. And he uses all of his strength. And he saves like a quarter of the battalion, bringing them one by one. And he hasn't taken any life and he is a rescuer of those people because he counted them more valuable than his own life. Now, I'm not telling you that when you pray, a movie is going to be made of you. Uh, that's not what I'm guaranteeing. But what I will guarantee is this, that God will know what you did. And God will use your proving ground to promote you to greater things. And God will see you rescuing people as one of the traits of him that left the 99 to find the one. He'll see the Jesus nature in you. And yes, it won't get lighter, it'll get busier. Because God will say, I found one. I found someone. I found someone that will pray. I found them. There's no shortage of problems, but there may be a shortage of people that are willing to take them on with prayer. We need each other, and God needs us. Amen? Amen? So let's stand our feet just for a moment.
Hallelujah. I'm going to ask you to reach over the aisles because I'm going to ask you to pray for the person on each side of you that God would breathe into them a new fervency for prayer, a new desire for prayer, a new awareness for the need for prayer. What expression could be any greater than someone saying, what can I pray with you for? And I mean taking it to task to the end until the person says to you, you don't need to pray. Victory came in the morning. Praise God. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray to these people, God, for those that are on the right of us. We pray, God, that you would breathe new life into our prayer life. And that, God, we would just begin to be the church of the Bible. God, so many people are praying already. And I know, God, it would seem like this is just another thing. No, it is another thing, but it is so expressive of our love and our faith in God. That God, when the church prays, prison doors are broken free. That God, victories are won. Out of the first and the second ward in the third ward, God, supernatural things begin to break forth. God, I pray that you would stir our hearts. Pray, God, that we would see others as if they really are our brothers, our sisters, our sons and daughters, God, those that we care for. Let us begin to weep, God, in the valley of Baca, that, God, we can bring people out and that, God, we will begin to live, God, the life of faith in prayer. That, God, they will win their crown. Though we might be in the shadow of the hallways of their victory, God, all that really matters is that you are glorified in their life. God, give us this great desire to pray. Awaken us at night, God. Simplicity, God, just simple. We are the people of power. We are the people that are anointed. We are the people that are called. We are the people that are born again. We are the people that have the right and the invitation from you, God, to invite you into people's problems. It is us that have access to the throne of grace. And God, let us use that access. Hallelujah. Oh, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus Christ, God, lead us, lead us, Father, in Jesus' name.